You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. All right, uh, let's take out our Bibles, open up our Bibles, let's place our Bibles above our heads, and repeat after me. I love God. I love candy. I love candy canes. Candy corn. And syrup. All right, thanks, guys. If you don't, never seen. Uh, if you've never seen Elf with Will Ferrell, then probably thought that was the creepiest thing you've ever heard. Uh, but let's turn to the book of Haggai. Random book. I'm not kidding. We're gonna look in the book of Haggai. If you go to Matthew and turn uh, left a couple chapters, turn left a couple books. Go to Matthew. Turn. Three books to the left, and you'll find the book of Haggai. I love my brother. We're best friends. Now he'll never trust me to uh, fill in for him again. Turn to the book of Haggai. We're going to read the first chapter together today. Not there yet. It's a small book. It's only two chapters. Haggai, Zechariah. Malachi, then Matthew. All right. Don't you guys know the four main food groups for elves? Candy, candy cane, candy corn, syrup. Love those food groups. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've created. We thank you for your love, for waking us up this morning. We realize that every day is uh, just proof of your mercy and grace. Um, We just humble ourselves before you. We calm our hearts before you. Uh, Lord, we want to hear from your word. Um, I pray that this message would uh, just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would soften our hearts to receive what you might have for us today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for our families, for everything you've given us, Lord. We do not take for granted your many blessings. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from your hand. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Haggai chapter 1. I need to preface uh, this uh, first before we uh, really dive into the study. Um, It's uh, it's important to understand the setting that this takes place in. It's important to understand um, the contextual background before we actually understand what we're reading. If we just jump in, uh, we might get a, a... have a little bit of an understanding of what's going on, but we really need to uh, just preface this story, understand uh, what, what, why they're here, what they're doing, and why Haggai's been asked of the Lord to speak to, the, to, speak to Judah. So um, the nation of Israel, as, as many of you may know, I think Pastor Jimmy might have said this last week, I'm not exactly sure, but um, the nation of Israel during this period is, is split. There's a northern kingdom that's called Israel, there's a southern kingdom that's called Judah. Okay, and in 609 B.C., uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was taken captive uh, by the Babylonians. Um, you, you know the story of Daniel. When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were, taking, were taken captive to Babylon, um, that's, that's what this is. So 609 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians. They were exiled to Babylon. They were taken captive, and they, were, they would end up being there, taken captive, exiled to Babylon, away from Judah for 70 years. Um, in 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jer- Jerusalem, came to Jerusalem, destroyed the temple of God, destroyed where they worshipped. About 50 years later, in 539 B.C., 
uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, conquers Babylon, um, and he, he allows the, the people that lived in Judah to return to their homeland after 70 years. Um, so they haven't seen their home country for 70 years. For those of, of them that were taken captive in their 20s, uh, most likely they, they would, would have died in Babylon. Uh, maybe if you were taken captive at, like Daniel was, at, at 10, 15 years of age, you'd be coming back to your home country of Judah, be coming back to Jerusalem, maybe when you were 75, 80 years old, okay? So you haven't seen your home country uh, for quite a long time. Um, uh, to put it this in perspective, the, the journey that they, that they traveled from Judah to Babylon, uh, it would have been a, approximately a journey of 1,000 miles. So picture this. You're, you're in high school. Uh, you're, you're 15, 16, 18 years old, and you're taken captive from Loudoun County, and you travel to Cuba, and you're taken to Cuba. That's approximately the distance um, of, of about 1,000 miles. So you're, you're 15 years old, you're, you're in high school, you're taken captive from Babylon, or from Judah rather, taken to Babylon, it's about a 1,000 miles journey, you're 1,000 miles away from home, you're in Cuba, um, that's, that's something that would be extremely terrifying. You don't know anybody, you don't know the language, you don't know the surrounding country, you're, you're totally lost, you're taken captive. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the backdrop for this, okay? So, so now Cyrus conquers um, he's the Persian king, conquers Babylon and says, hey, you guys can go home now. After 70 years of being captive in Babylon, you guys can finally go home. So that's where we are. Cyrus allows them, writes a decree, hey, you guys are going to build the temple. You've been without a, a temple for, for 70 years now. You haven't been able to worship God in the temple for 70 years. So I'm writing a decree. You guys can start to rebuild the temple. You, they, they came home to a Jerusalem. They came home to a temple that was completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, everything's in rubble. They, came, they come home with no place to worship God. They come home and it's just completely destroyed. So that's the setting to this book of Haggai, okay? Um, Ezra chapters 3 and 4 uh, speaks about this more in depth. It speaks about the rebuilding of the temple. So uh, what's going on is uh, Cyrus says, hey, you're, you guys are going to go back to Judah. I'm finally letting you back home. You're going to build the temple um, and as they start to rebuild, they're, they're filled with joy, they're filled with zeal, they're filled with passion, and they want to go back, they want to rebuild this temple they've been without for 70 years. They haven't been able to properly sacrifice, properly worship God in this temple for 70 years, okay? So Cyrus says, hey, go back, I'm going to allow you to rebuild the temple and write a decree so you can rebuild it. So they're, they're rejoicing, they're like, okay, this is great, we haven't been with, we've been without this for 70 years, and we finally get to rebuild the temple. The moment they're faced with opposition... In Ezra chapters 3 and 4, their mo- the moment they're faced with opposition, they stop. They stop work. They put the building project on pause. Ezra 4.4 4 says, Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So that's Ezra chapter 4. So once they face opposition, the moment they face opposition, they're excited to rebuild the temple. They're excited to worship God. They haven't done this for 70 years in the, in the temple of God. The moment they face opposition from their surrounding countries, from their enemies, they put the building project on pause. They stop. That's the backdrop right here to Haggai. Okay, and, and it makes me think of how representative, how symbolic that is of today. We, we go to camp. Uh, we worship the Lord, we're intimate with the Lord, we hear from great speakers, we, 
uh, we rededicate our lives to Christ. We, we give our lives to Christ for the first time. We get saved. We spend uh, daily in talk time, okay? We're surrounded by it. We're so intimate with the Lord. We're on a spiritual high. We, we have such fervor. We have such zeal in the Lord. We want to go back to our homes. We have such passion. The moment we get home and face opposition, it just stops. It deteriorates. The moment we go home and face opposition, maybe you got saved at camp uh, maybe you gave your life to Christ, the moment you went home to your unbelieving parents, the fervor that work the Lord started in you just put, is put on pause. Maybe you go to camp, and, you're, and the whole summer you're, you, know, you, you have your ups and downs, but you really, you were really in your word, you're really in prayer, really in fellowship with the youth group, really in the body of believers, and you go back to school, the moment you face opposition, hey, Christianity's not cool anymore. Jesus isn't cool anymore. He's just some guy that died 2,000 years ago, and you freaks are still worshiping him. The moment you face opposition in school, the moment you feel like the minority, the, the work is put on pause. The work that you felt at summer camp, the fervor that you had, the zeal that you had, such passion. Maybe you went to a missions trip, and you came back from the DR, and you're like, the Lord did a work in me. I, I got people, I saw kids get saved. I really helped people. It felt great to, to minister to those kids. And the moment you come back home and face opposition, face distractions, that work is put on pause. You go back to school, that work is put on pause. You come back home to your parents who, who aren't Christians, that work is put on pause. You, you come back home to a brother or sister you're best friends with who aren't saved. And the moment you face opposition, you put that work on pause. It's so representative of... of of how life is today. The Jews come back home after 70 years and they get to finally rebuild the temple, finally worship God in the temple. The moment they face opposition from their enemies, the moment that, that uh, their enemies come upon them and, and, and are a distraction to them and, and want to stop their work, they put the work on pause. So essentially, we pick up here in Haggai, Haggai, Haggai chapter 1, and he's saying, guys, I want you to rebuild the temple, and the Lord is telling me to tell you we have to finish the work we started. It's time to finish the work we started. So read with me chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Okay, pause there real quick. So Darius, King Darius is now king over the Persian Empire. Um, after King Cyrus, a couple guys in between succeeded in him, and then it comes to King Darius, Darius. And King Darius says, hey, I'm letting you rebuild the temple, okay? So that's who King Darius is. And their purpose for coming back, the whole purpose for them to come back to their homeland was to rebuild this temple so they could properly worship God. So Haggai says, hey, the Lord is saying this. It's time to rebuild. Time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Time to rebuild the temple. It's time to finish what you started. So let's finish um, in verse 1. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. To Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, you're never warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says that again. Verse 8. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. And why? 
declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of, each of you is busy with his own house. Their zeal turned to apathy, afraid of the opposition. What they once were so passionate, passionate about, as, Ezra, uh, is, as it's recorded in Ezra, they, they started the project and there was rejoicing, and their zeal turned to apathy. They got lazy. They became lackadaisical. 1 verse 2, chapter 1 verse 2 says, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Okay, so they put the work on pause. They don't seem interested in rebuilding the house of the Lord. Verse 6 says, You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but aren't warm. You earn wages only to, them, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So what God is trying to do here is he's trying to redirect their priorities back to him, Okay. They began to, to work on the, on the building project. They began to work on the rebuilding of the temple. And then it says that they began, then after they faced opposition, they put the work on pause and they took the wood that was used for the temple and they started to build their own paneled houses, okay? So God's trying to redirect their priorities back to him. He's saying, you know, if you, you put your life, you dedicate your life, you invest your life into such things as, as uh, fulfilling your own desires, fulfilling your own needs, you'll never be satisfied, can't think of how many times, you know, we, we eat and we go back for more. We drink and we go back for more. We, we buy clothes. We always have to buy more. There's, there's never the satisfaction with us because we always need more. Okay, you go out and you buy five pairs of clothes. You wear them for a week and say, I need my next week's pair. You go and you buy more clothes. You, you never have your fill. So what God is doing here is he's saying you've, you've eaten, you never have enough. You've harvest, harvested little. You've planted much, harvested little. You drink, never have your fill. They're putting their satisfaction. They're putting their priorities in something that's other than God. So when we have this mixed priority, when we say other things are more important to me right now than you, God, we're having a mixed priority. And let me just tell you this, you are God's priority. You are the Lord's priority. He thinks about you every day. He loves you. He gives you grace and mercy every day. Every, you're on God's thought 24-7. He watches over you. He loves you. He thinks about you every day. You are God's priority. But we'll never be able to make God our priority because we're too busy fulfilling our own lives with worthless things. We have mixed up priorities. They were too busy. They were too distracted. Verse 4 says, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Verse 9 says, Because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. There's so much application in our lives to this. We, we skim through this and we don't think much of it, but then we think, this kind of really mirrors my own life. I've set my priorities on something other than God. I've set my priorities on something other than worshiping the Lord. And I, I'm too busy trying to fulfill my own flesh, trying to fulfill my own desires. But the more we try to fulfill our own flesh, the more we try to fulfill our own desires, we will never be satisfied, no matter how much we think. If I only had this, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be content. If I only had this, then I would finally be just able to to, uh, to calm down, to have contentment. But no matter how many times we chase after worthless things, there's not, nothing that's going to ever be able to fulfill your emptiness other than Jesus Christ. There's so much application. So we see this backdrop. We, see, we read Haggai chapter 1, and we say, okay, they, they started out with zeal and passion in rebuilding the temple. They faced opposition, so they stopped working. Then they took the lumber and the wood that was supposed to be used for the temple. They built themselves nice houses. So they, they, equipped, their own, they, they equipped their own life. They equipped their, uh, their, their flesh, if you would, and didn't work on uh, their, their spiritual maturity. 
So let's get to the application, okay? So many times we're zealous and passionate to begin the building process of our own lives. We go to camp, we dedicate our life, we get saved at camp. We come home and the, the zeal fades away. The passion we once had fades away. We become lackadaisical, apathetic. Romans 12:11 says this, "Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord." And thus we naturally begin to feed our flesh. The Bible calls our bodies a temple unto the Lord, OK? Our, t- our bodies are a temple unto the Lord. So the application is, just as the people of Judah took the wood and they, they equipped their own houses, they equipped, uh, they built their, themselves these nice paneled houses, they forgot, they neglected to build their own temple where they could worship the Lord. And it's just the same way with us. We come back from a spiritual high, we're excited to serve the Lord, we get back to our distractions and we say, I'm going to put that on pause just for a little bit. I've got some things I want to do for myself. And we get, become lazy, we become apathetic, and we say, okay, I want to feed my flesh. I want to build my own nice paneled houses. And we don't worship the Lord. We don't rebuild the temple. We don't equip our bodies, which is a temple unto the Lord. We don't equip ourselves with God's word. We don't equip ourselves with prayer. We don't equip ourselves with coming and fellowshipping with other believers. And so we, we neglect the equipment of our own spiritual bodies. Our bodies is a temple unto the Lord. If we're not building our temple unto the Lord, then we're only not being, we're not being constructive, but we're being destructive. Um, verse 2, the people say, um, God says, uh, these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. We put things on pause. I don't know how many times I've told myself, I'll read my Bible later. I want to... I want to watch TV. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get to prayer later. I know I'm supposed to, uh, you know, really just dive, invest my life into God's word. I'll get to it later. We put things off. If anybody, any, if, if anybody in this room is a procrastinator, you're looking at them. I'm the biggest procrastinator. I put off things so far in advance. You know, I have a four-page essay due uh, tomorrow night, and I do it three hours before, and I just get by maybe with the CB. Sometimes if I'm lucky and the teacher doesn't really look at my paper too well, maybe he's an A. But I put things off to the last minute in almost everything. You know, it's that play first, work later mentality. And, you know, some, sometimes um, that's not a bad thing, you know, not worrying about things. But when it comes to important matters such as really equipping ourselves, really equipping our spiritual maturity, that's something that cannot we cannot put off, something uh, that we, we just can't live without uh, and I don't know how many times I've, I've looked at my Bible, and it's there on my end table. It's there on my bed or whatever. And I look at it, and I say, oh, like, I know I should read my word today and really just spend some time with the Lord. I'll get to it later tonight. And then tonight comes, and I'm like, I'm too tired. I'll get, in, I'll get to it in the morning. Gonna really, you know, the Lord said that Jesus went out early in the morning and prayed. I'm really feeling it. You know, you get up, and it's 8 o'clock, and you're like, I'll do it later tonight. And then the whole cycle restarts. So that's something that I've personally dealt with, with putting things off. And that's exactly what these people are saying. The Lord says, hey, it's time to rebuild the temple. It's time to have a relationship with me. It's time to, to sacrifice. It's time to, to really have a relationship with me and worship me in my temple. And they say, now's not the time. I'll get to it later. Okay? And that's so applicable to our own lives. We work within our own timetable. And it's so funny how I think, it's so interesting how I think, 
that God who created time, who is outside of time, placed man in time so that we could abide by his timetable. But how reversed is it that we want to go by our own timetable who knows nothing but the present and we don't want to look to God who knows past, present, and future because he's not subject to time. How funny is it that we who are subject to time think we can run our own time schedule and and we know better than the Lord. The Lord knows the beginning and the end. He's outside of time. He's not subject to time. But so many times we don't look to him when, when something's coming up and we, we don't have that patience. We say, I, I want to wait on the Lord. I want to wait for his timing. But we go and do, do things our own way. So the people are saying it's not time to rebuild the temple just yet. We work within our own timetable. I think of the, the passage where, where Jesus in, in Luke 9, you don't have to turn there. But in Luke 9, um, Jesus, uh, there's, some, there's some people gathered around Jesus and... Uh, um, he says, uh, follow me. And, the, and there's this guy who says, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he says, just be ready. You know, the, the foxes have their holes. Um, the, the birds have their nest. I don't have a place to rest my head. Basically saying, this journey's not going to be comfortable. I don't have any place to go. So following me is not going to be the easiest thing. And the guy doesn't say anything back. And then he, the, the, another guy says, I'll follow you, Jesus. But first, let me just go bury my dad. And I won't get into the detail, but we know... Um, for fact that that guy's not saying, that the guy's dad's not really dead. He's just saying, I, you know, let me spend some time with my family and later down the road, eventually when my dad dies, I'll bury him and then I'll come follow you. And then Jesus looks at this other guy and says, hey, I'll follow you. And he says, let me go back and say goodbye to my family real quick, just real quick, and I'll come back. And there's always these excuses. I'll follow you, but let me do this first. I'll follow you, but I'm having too much fun in high school right now doing things I know I shouldn't be. I'll follow you, but after I have my fun time in college, then I'll come back to you. But we're never promised tomorrow. Sadly, tomorrow is something that just never comes. Now is the time, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Satan's favorite word is tomorrow. Satan's favorite word is tomorrow. He wants you to put things off. He wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be busy. Just like verse 9 says, the Lord says, Because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Too busy just looking at our own lives. Too busy just trying to feed our own flesh. Too busy just trying to have fun um, in a world that's not living for the Lord. We put things off, we get distracted, we get busy and say, I'll get to it tomorrow, I promise. But tomorrow never comes. We're just too wrapped up, too busy, uh, having fun in a world that's living opposition to the Lord. And uh, now's the time. If you're not saved today, and you know, you know the gospel, you know the good news, that Jesus came to, to die for you, to give you eternal life, Um, to give you life more abundantly through his death and resurrection on the cross. And he's saying, hey, come to me. I'm the only way to heaven, and I love you. And if you're putting that off and say, I'll get to it later maybe, today's the day of salvation. If if you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, you're thinking, I want to have fun right now, but uh, I'll, I'll stop later. I'll get right with the Lord later. The Lord says, now is the time. Don't be distracted. Don't put things off. 
if you're joking, joking about things you shouldn't be, if you're talking a certain way out of peer pressure, if you're acting a certain way um, under peer pressure, as we, all, as we all do, as we all have. And we're saying, I want to fit in right now with this group, and I'll get to following the Lord later. He says, no, now is the time. Don't be busy with building your flesh up. Don't be busy feeding yourselves because you'll never be satisfied. You'll never find satisfaction at things that benefit to nothing. The only place of satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. That's the only place where we're able to find rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's see how they finished. Let's flip flip over a page for me. Flip over a page. Let's see how they finished. Chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. This is something that we find extremely rare. Um, Haggai is one of the more successful prophets who actually taught God's word, preached repentance, and the people actually listened and obeyed. Other times in Scripture, we find the prophet saying, hey, this is the Lord's message, and they say, we don't want to listen to you right now, okay? We got things to do. Would you just be quiet? We don't want to listen to you. That was the, most, that was the case most of the time. But right here, it says, the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Okay? So we find that from the beginning to when the Lord said, hey, it's time to rebuild the temple, to when they actually started the rebuilding process, it was a period of 24 days. It's so ironic. I just looked at the calendar and uh, the last day of camp, June 27th, has been exactly 24 days to now. Something just interesting. But where we find our spiritual fervor in the Lord at camp, and we come back, and, uh, and we become lackadaisical, we become lazy, apathetic. It's time to rebuild that, that spiritual fervor we once had for the Lord. Um, so they finished well. It says they obeyed the Lord, and they feared the Lord, and they got to work. They obeyed, they feared, and then they actually, they actually did stuff. They actually worked, okay? We can talk about our faith, but it doesn't matter if we don't put it into practice, okay? We actually have to work. So they obeyed, they feared, and they, they worked. And the Lord promises this in verse 13. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you, okay? We're always going to struggle. We're always going to fall. But in the process of rebuilding our spiritual maturity and gaining that spiritual fervor with the Lord, the Lord promises us and says, hey, guys, it's going to be a tough road, I know, but I'm with you. Okay, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Jesus is with you. He's there, right there with you in the building process, in the, in the, in the, the long journey of, of the Christian life. He's there with you. We're not going to be perfect as Jesus was, but we thank the Lord that he's with us, Okay. So that's what we have to do. He promises to be with us, and we can't give up. All right, so let's, let's try to do that. Let's, let's have that spiritual fervor for the Lord. Let's regain that zeal and that passion that we once had. And let's, uh, let's go out and let's work for the Lord, all right? Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group, this strong group, Lord. I pray that you would build us up. Pray that you would allow us just to experience your love, to know your love, to put our faith into practice, and to, to serve you, Father. Lord, I pray that when we face opposition, Lord, when we, when we become uh, apathetic, we become lazy, and we want to just feed our own flesh, Lord, I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would say, hey, it's time to rebuild. Now is today is the day of salvation, for I'm the only one who satisfies, Lord. I pray that we would look to you in all situations, Lord. I thank you for this day you've created, Lord. We glorify you. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.